This is the Holland Assets Podcast, where we show you how to start and run your own trucking company. Ever wanted to go out on your own? Follow Chris as he goes through the highs and lows of running on his own authority. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Holland Assets Podcast. This is episode number 78. I am Craig, your host, and over there, he is... Chris, same guy. Chris, yep. how's it going? Good to be here. Yeah? Yeah. You wouldn't lie to me, would you, Chris? Uh, never. All right, good. Well, today we are talking about business credit for trucking companies, and this is going to be a very good episode in part because we don't have to be the experts, but we'll talk about that later, Chris. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, how are things going out there? How was your week? Good, good. I just got back from a, a conference down in Phoenix, first time I've really traveled for business in mm. In quite a while, it's good to kind of get back to a little bit of a normal life. Phoenix in the summer, oof. It, was, it got up to 100 degrees, which oh. you this time of year, my body's just not used to it. I mean, it's, you know, we're talking in early May and uh, yeah, it's hot. It's hard pass, hard pass. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I have been to Phoenix for business and it's a lovely city. It's just, it's just so hot. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what what'd you do at your, at your conference? Tell you me know, a little bit about it. it. It was pretty interesting as a conference with a lot of executives that are part of the trucking industry. And um, it, it's really the first time I've had a chance to, you know, talk to executives about the podcast. And it's, it's, it's fun to talk about it because people like inevitably ask, well, when they find out I spent a, a year driving a semi on the road, they're, they're pretty they, intrigued. they don't do that. They've never done that. You know, right. most of these guys have, you know, they've been around trucking. They, they understand aspects of trucking, but they've never driven a truck and have no idea what that's like. And so uh, you get a lot of questions about that. What, uh, what were some of the common themes, the best questions you get? You know, just what, is, what is it like being on the road? You know, our, our drivers, you know, is it really as hard as, as people say? Um, and and it is I, in <laughs> fact in fact i think it's harder than than most people say um you know there's just a lot of sleep deprivation you're always trying to meet a schedule and the problem is like i'm a schedule person i'm a time person i'm always trying to be on time you know that's kind of one of my pet peeves are people who are late all the time and so I, you know that that's you're always trying to do that the problem with trucking is is there's so many aspects of it that are just out of your control you know the weather traffic you know, how long a shipper takes to load your truck or a receiver to unload your truck, you know, all of those things are outside of your control, but you still have to be to your appointments on time. And it's just, it's tough because you, you miss a lot of sleep. You're waking up at all crazy kinds of hours, um, you know, getting loaded, getting unloaded. And it's not an easy job. It's a, it's a tough job. Yeah, no, I'm props to everybody out there listening who does this day in and day out. It's, uh, it is impressive. It is. They, I mean, I, our economy would not work without trucking. I mean, trucking is like the blood of our economy. It just, it's essential. It's vital. Um, without it, nothing would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Chris, the main topic today, like I said, we're going to be talking about, uh, business credit for trucking companies. This is something that is going to be vital for somebody to understand if they're, just getting started with their business and you know they need some working capital or maybe they're looking to expand they need something to, to help out with that this is going to be uh, an extremely important topic but how do we how do we want to approach this because there's a lot of different ways we could talk about business credit um, but maybe tell me a little bit about how it, it, for somebody who has never used business credit applied for it whatever they probably have done so on the personal side they've applied for a credit card they've bought a house they've bought a car they kind of understand that process can you relate you know at least maybe some of the basics uh, to personal credit do they bear any resemblance what's the relationship there yeah there's a lot of differences i mean there's difference there, there are a lot of similarities sorry there's a lot of similarities but there's some differences that are that are nuances that are important to talk about and understand that's that's really what we want to do in fact today we're going to bring in a couple of business bankers that are going to kind of help us understand some of those nuances so we're going to be interviewing them just a little bit later in the podcast but i i kind of want to set the the um foundation for this because understanding some of the basics is important and um, then we'll get into some of more of the important details but it's really a lot like personal credit. The, the foundation's essentially the same thing. I mean, you, you imagine, um, let's compare a, an 18-year-old to somebody who is wanting to just start a trucking company. There's a lot of similarities. If you're 18, are you going to be able to get the best credit 
um, out there available to you and you're, per, you know, in some kind of personal credit situation. Right. Are you right. going to be able to walk into a car dealership and say, Hey, I want to buy my dream jacked up pickup truck that costs $80,000 <laughs> and you're 18 years old. Is, is this uh, this sounds awfully autobiographical. Did, did, did you, did something happen to you when you were 18? Chris? Um, yeah, I, I bought my first vehicle before I was 18. Did you was, really? Yeah. A, a, a Ford Ranger that I ended up putting a lift kit on and getting way too big of a sound system for and spending way too much money on. This was before I this, really, it, the, the whole principle of saving money and, yeah. and being smart with your finances really sunk in. That this, was this, pretty dumb. This is the principle of um, learn from someone else's mistakes so you don't have to make them, right? So yeah. Chris made the mistakes and now he's going to tell you all about it so you don't have to make the same mistakes. <laughs> yes. So, it, you know, you think about it. Let's, let's, let's think about what happened when I was 18 and, yeah. and try to go out and get credit. You know, the, the thing that the bank is going to want to see is they're going to want to see that you've got income coming in to make the payment. Um, you've got a good job that's going to be able to make the payment that you're looking for. They're going to want to see that you've got some some credit history to show that you've made payments in the past. And at 18, are you going to find a whole lot of that? No, definitely no, not. you're not. And no. so you you've, you kind of get some some things stacked against you. And, the, and a similar type thing happens with with trucking and well, really with any business when you first try to start out. Um, it, you're going to be treated a lot like you are when you were 18 years old and, and just trying to get credit for the first time. So there's some things that you're going to have to do. You're, you're going to have to um, put up with because you're really not the greatest credit risk in the whole world. Credit. You mean you are a bigger credit risk you are than, you, than risk. you would otherwise yes, be. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Sometimes I, I, I speak faster than my brain can <laughs> brain compute. Yeah. 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 So let's kind of walk through. So if you, when you're 18, like what are some of the things that you can do or you have to do to kind of get credit for that first time? Well, so in my experience, you're going to have to settle for one thing. You're not going, like you said, you can't go get the big jacked up pickup yeah. truck. You, if you, let's say you're going for a credit card at 18 years old, you're not going to get the airline card with 450,000 <laughs> free miles after you make, you know, uh, $45,000 in purchases yeah. or whatever, right? You're going to get a no rewards, high, uh, high interest rate starter with a, credit with card with $500. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Five, yeah. $500 limit. Yeah. yeah and it ain't so, gonna be much. yeah. So you're going to have to settle for one thing, right? Yes. So what else, uh, what else am I missing? You're, you know, if you're, you know, this wouldn't work in the credit card realm, but in other types of loans, you're probably going to have to put down a, a larger down payment. Mm, yeah. Um, you may even have to bring on a cosigner. And the same kind of thing happens in, in business. A lot of times you have to bring on a cosigner, somebody that's got a little bit more, um, a little bit more um, history with credit and has right. shown that they can handle credit and they can make the payments and, and they may have to vouch for you and sign on the dotted line with you. And, and like I said, the same kind of thing happens with business credit. And we'll kind of get into what that means later on down the road. Right. Yeah. I think uh, we'll probably talk about this in a little more depth with our guests, but uh, the, the idea of a co-signer is somebody might say, well, hey, this is why I started an LLC. So I, I didn't have to take on any risk. Well, you know, the bank might not see it as cleanly separated as that. And they might say, hey, you're going to need to put your butt on the line to secure your business's financing in some cases or bring yeah. in somebody else entirely from the outside. Yeah. 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 Th those are both both good options. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get the when we interview the bankers. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So uh you say business credit, not much different than personal credit uh, as far as the principle of it, right? So if you're familiar with how you started building credit, then you're at least somewhat familiar with how you're going to now start building credit as a business. Uh, but is, what else do we want to talk about in this regard, it, kind of the basics of it before we get these guests in? Just to just to kind of hopefully simplify it a little bit, it, it's a lot of the same thing. So when you get personal credit, you have to show that you've got a job and that you make money. In the business side of things, you, you have to do the same thing. You have to show that you either are or have the ability to make money. Just what you do to prove that is going to be a lot different. So, Chris, we've talked a little bit about the the, the similarities between personal the personal and the business side, just so people can kind of wrap their heads around it. But tell me, are there any big differences that people should be aware of before we start to dive into the uh, the specifics with our guests? There are some differences, but it's it's really... The generality and the, and the overall mechanism is really quite the same. And so the differences are going to be, so you take, for example, in with personal credit, you've got to show that you make money and that you're going to be able to make the payments. And it's the same thing with business 
credit, but the difference is going to be how you show that. Like, you know, on your personal side, you're going to show that you've got a job and you're going to show maybe copies of your W-2. Or on the business side, you may have to show some financials or projections or or other things. And, and so that's really what we're going to kind of get into with the business bankers are, are those differences between your personal credit and your business credit. Okay. So I, th- I think that's a pretty good spot for us to then bring in our guests. We've got, uh, we've got Rob and Jaron with us today. Now they are very high flying business bankers. Now, Chris, longtime listeners may remember, you may remember, I worked as a business banker for a little while, but in this case, that's a bit like saying I played little league, so I played the same <laughs> sport as Derek Jeter, right? It's uh, it's not not quite the same. I yeah. I was I was not at these guys' level, but let's talk to uh, Rob and Jaron. Why don't you guys uh, introduce yourselves and and just give me uh, twenty seconds about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Jaron. I've been in banking for uh, fourteen years now, uh, doing commercial lending lending on the business banking side for the last seven years. All right, Rob. Uh, so I've been doing it for about 17 years. For the last 12, I've been heavily in the SBA, dealing a lot with... Uh, the SBA uh, being the Small Business Administration. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so doing a lot of SBA lending, um, which is a great program, obviously, for startup companies or even some that are existing. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think that'll be really cool to get into, you know, mm-hmm. maybe at the end, once we've kind of gone through some of the general generalities of lending, you know, what the... What SBA opportunities are there for a brand new trucking company or even some of the existing ones and, and where that's a good fit? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get into it then. And we've talked a little bit, again, about the basics and how people can recognize that, yeah, it's, it's not so scary. It's the same kind of principle as your personal lending. It's just now it's the, the business in play instead of yourself. Oh, well, <laughs> except in some cases like we talked about, right? Uh, but why don't you guys tell me, uh, Rob, I'll kick it to you first. Um, give me some of the basics about what lenders are looking for. Okay, so somebody walks through the door, gives you a phone call and says, hey, I'm a, I'm a brand new business or I've been in business for six months or whatever. I need a loan. What's the first thing you're going to tell them? Here's what I need. Here's what I'm looking for. So ideally what we want to see is someone who has some level of experience or expertise in the industry that they're looking for. Uh, One of those things that can really kind of play out in that as well as having a business plan so that especially if you're a new company, tell us why we think we should want to lend to you. You know, what have you done? What are you planning to do? Um, What is your strategy? Things of that nature, because if you're a brand new company, a lot of it's going to be projection based. And so having um, a comfort that you know what you're trying to do since you don't have the historical numbers, um, that business plan and your background really speak to how we can get comfortable with that. Right, right. Jaron, does that track? Uh, do you, is that about what you Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then you're also going to look for, you know, if they're seasoned companies, you know, a couple years of taxes and those kind of things um, that go along with the business plan. So yeah. let me let me ask you this because we get this question all the time. Uh, a <laughs> truck driver walks in wanting to start his own business, buy his own truck, um, how important is a formal written business plan with using heaven forbid, Craig, an Excel spreadsheet that shows projections? You know and what? Numbers? I'm going to start bleeping that like you make me bleep <laughs> gas. You know, every, every time I say gas, he's like bleep it. And so now every time you say spreadsheet, I'm just going to make it the filthiest, dirty four letter word. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, when you're walking in the door, you don't necessarily need to have the business plan in hand. Although if you do, it, it helps the banker maybe feel a little bit more comfortable that you know where you're coming from and what you're trying to do. Um, but the business plan really kind of shows everyone your commitment level to what you think your business is going to be. You know, if someone just walks in with a cocktail napkin and it's like, yeah, hey, this is my plan, this is what we're going to do. Maybe you worry that there's not as much thought that they put into it versus if someone has a fully formed and uh, articulate document that they've kind of just, you know, discussing who they're going to go after, how they're going to get their routes or whatever it is that they're going to be focusing on um, gives that better comfort level, I think, to the bankers as well as to the uh, approving credit officers. I I will say one more thing. It doesn't have to be like the super long, like 10 page thing document. It can be like two, three pages. It just wants to be precise on what you guys are going to be focusing on and what your guys' plans are. Yeah, so the idea isn't that you've thought of absolutely every single thing and written it down. It's just that you're showing with that business plan that you have thought about how you're going to go about making money, how you're going to go about paying back a loan, whatever the case may be. Addressing maybe potential strengths and weaknesses that you've identified, things that you've seen in your past. But again, I think 
again, to Jaron's point, it doesn't need to be war and peace. It doesn't need to be a thousand pages long. But if you've put some thought into it and articulate that, it gives a better comfort level, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Chris, I think that would probably be a pretty good episode. Talk about a business plan and, and I, I, how to create one of those. I, I, yeah, absolutely. We yeah. probably ought to do that sometime in the not too distant future. Yeah, yeah, it'd, go, it'd go along well with this this episode. So I let's talk a little bit about maybe the differences. So you've got somebody that walks in that has been in business for two plus years. They're gonna, instead of showing projections and a business plan, they're going to show their financial statements, right? Um, and then, you know, somebody that's brand new, hasn't got going, they're going to show kind of some of that same information, but it's just going to be projections. And we say projections, you know, based on current the current market, this is what you're getting rate per mile. And this is what I think one month one is going to look like, month two, all the way out to the first couple of years, right? Is, yes. that, is that basically kind of what you're looking for? Yeah, on a, on a projection, and, and I know we can talk or tie this in, SBA they like to see three years, but really it's the first two years broken into a month by month basis of what your expenses, what your income is going to be. Um, if there's seasonality, if there's certain time of the year that routes are more popular or whatever the case may be that's showing that so that they can just see it's not just straight line across everything. Um, I think showing that helps give again, more comfort that the numbers are well thought out and, and, uh, being worked through. So this is one thing, let me ask you this, because this is one thing that I harp on all the time in the podcast is you've got to have a good understanding of your numbers. And so those financial statements, I harp on it that you need to do them. They need to be clean. You know, if you're running a business where all you're doing is handing a bunch of, of receipts to your tax account at the end of the year to do your taxes, that's not a good way to conduct business. And when it comes to getting a loan, I imagine that kind of thing isn't good either, right? How, how important is it that your financial statements look clean and look like you kind of know what you're doing? It's huge. I mean, you, you got to know what you're doing, um, especially when you're coming in for a loan because, you know, the bank's putting their money out for you to borrow um, and they want to make sure that you know what you're doing. And so those financials need to match up and they can't be super, you know, crazy numbers, like the huge amounts, like I'm going to be making millions of dollars this first year. You know, you got to be realistic and you got to know what you're doing. So knowing ahead of making that um, projections, you know, making sure that it's correct and the correct amount for that, what you're trying to do. Well, and I also think that knowing your numbers, I mean, there have been plenty of times I've talked with business owners and down to percentages of, of what their profit margins may be and things like that make you feel like, hey, this guy really knows what he's talking about versus I've had some that bring me a balance sheet that unfortunately doesn't balance or, <laughs> you know, someone that brings me an income statement that's showing losses and they say, well, show me how that I can make more money. Show me how I need to show more income it doesn't really work that way. I mean, you know, you need to know your numbers and how they're really going to work and what's going to really drive your business. Um, and when people do that, it, it again, it just instills a greater confidence and uh, comfort okay. level. Yeah, I mean, we've talked, Chris, a lot about how, uh, you know, you're building habits when, when you're talking about clean numbers and, uh, you know, clean balance sheet and, and all that, not just handing the receipts over. It's building habits for your ability to build the business, right? Uh, so through thick and thin, you're going to be able to, to power through. But in this case, it's it, like you guys said, uh, Rob and Jaron, you said that um, the, the bank's money is on the line here. And so what you're showing is I know how to deal with money. And we've heard we've heard Rob and Jaron say multiple times confidence, right? And that's really what you're doing is you're building a picture that that you're showing you're giving the banker confidence that one, you know what you're doing, you're going to be able to execute your plan. Or if you're an existing business that you do know what you're doing and you have executed a plan and that you're ready to take it to the next level and you understand all that stuff. And, and it's just, it's giving that um, banker warm, fuzzy foo-foos <laughs> that, that you know what the heck it is that you're doing, right? Exactly. Well, well <laughs> Chris, to one of the points that you were bringing up, I mean, even if you've been in business for two or three years, and now maybe say, again, if we're using the example of trucking, you want to buy more trucks for your fleet or whatever the case may be, there may, may still need to be a need for projections because now you're saying, hey, we're going to take on more opportunity. We're going to be growing the business and this is how we're going to do it. So, you know, knowing your numbers is always going to be one of the biggest keys that any business owner needs to really kind of have a grasp of. Yeah. And that's why it's one of the things I think having a general understanding of accounting, if you're going to be a business owner, especially if you're somebody who's trying to grow a fleet, you really need to have that general understanding of accounting so that you can go in and in a meeting with somebody that you're going to ask 
to give them to give you money that you you can talk the talk and you can walk the walk and you you have an understanding of how you get from revenue to an asset on a balance sheet and you you can kind of articulate that and and show what your expenses are and and really show I I think this is what my projections is and this is why I think they can get there and just really be able to articulate that and talk that through with with the banker intelligently. Yeah. Right. Well, Chris, let me change gears for us here a little bit because a, a question popped into my mind and that's you know we were talking you and I Chris about um, you know, the possibility on a personal loan of needing a cosigner or collateral of some kind. Um, and my question was, we talked early on in this podcast back in episode, you know, five or whatever it was about business entities. You know, what kind of business entity are you going to choose? And my question for our bankers here is, is that going to make a difference for somebody coming in for a loan? If they are a sole proprietorship or an LLC, are they going to need different documentation? Does something look more attractive? Give me, give me the lowdown on that. No. I mean, for on the business side, you could be a sole prop, you could be an LLC, you could be a C or an S corp. We don't, it doesn't matter to the bank side. As long as the numbers and everything, that's the big thing that we look at. Obviously when you're a different entities, there's going to be different articles and bylaws and stuff that you'll have to give us. But yeah, was, on the business side, it's not. I was curious. Matter. Yeah. I was curious about, to, you know, like a sole proprietorship is obviously yourself. You're on the line all the time. Whereas with an LLC, you're a step removed and you know, would, would an LLC, uh, let, let's say you're a single member LLC. So it's, it's a lot like being a sole prop, but uh, you do have that level of separation. Um, it, there, is there a possibility that they're going to have to put themselves up for collateral and say, okay, you know what? All right. I am on the line now. It's no longer, uh, you know, the LLC gets to absorb all the risk. Yeah. Is that all, accurate? Yeah. All of our bank loans, you're going to have a personal guarantee on it. Uh, regardless if you're a sole prop and LLC, Banks that, always require a, a personal guarantee. Would that be the same if you're, uh, you know, three months in business or 30 years in business? We've had clients that are, you know, 20 years in there's ownership or a consistency from father to son that's being passed down and still. they still have to be involved. Um, you know, so I know that we had talked a little briefly, but, you know, SBA, they have a general rule that anyone that owns at least 20% of a company has to personally guarantee. And, you know, again, I think going back to the point that Jaron made, if you're coming to a bank and saying, hey, this is my project, this is what I believe in, and I want you to put the money on the line, they're going to say, okay, well then, do you believe it in enough to put your own name on the line? Mm. And that's really where it comes down to. So, you know, for legal reasons, liability reasons, people obviously form business entities, but you're still the person that's running that business. And so having you as part of that is, you know, one of the things that every bank's going to be looking for. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I would, I would maybe say there are some situations that I've seen where you've been able to get a business loan without a personal sure. guarantee, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's rare, rare. Very and, rare. and there has to, that, that business is going to have to have some incredible financial backing and strength. And there's a lot that goes along with it. And, and really to kind of Rob's point, a bank's going to look at you and say, well, if you're not willing to personally guarantee that this loan is going to get be repaid and you're not willing to risk that yourselves, then why are we going to be willing to risk our money if right. you don't even really believe in yourself enough to to do it? And so it's, it's just it's a really hard hurdle to overcome um, not having a personal guarantee. Can that, it happen? That yes. Confidence but, thing again. <laughs> yeah. If you've been in business for less than five years, I think it's probably not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Well, maybe at this point, then we can go back to the question of uh, how do you, how do you make yourself attractive to the bank? Um, well, you know, you can you can wear your high heels. Uh, you can, uh, you know, in my case, you know, make sure you get the fishnets yeah, that's, on. That's, and, that's probably going to be uh, not helping you at all. More of a deterrent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's just skip that. Craig, maybe you shouldn't talk. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that. How do you make yourself attracted to the bank? So we've talked about the financial side. Right. You've got to show that you're going to be able to, you, you've got the ability, the financial um, assets or the financial strength to make those payments. Um, but then also let's go kind of to that next step where we talk about, you've got to be able to show that you've done that in the past, that you've you've got that history, that you've been essentially trustworthy and, and made those payments. So on the personal side of things, a lot of the times banks look at your credit history, right? Your credit report to be able to see that, yeah, you've shown that you've made payments in the past and that you're going to continue to make your payments. Um, how do you do that on the business side of things? So 
really, I mean, I think this is going back to the original point. If you are a soul member or, a, you know, soul prop, whatever the case may be, you are the business. And so if you have bad personal credit, the concern is that that's going to bleed over to the business. Um, you know, there are things like a LexisNexis or certain Dun & Bradstreet. Bradstreet. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's things like that that can be pulled. But really, uh, as you are an extension of your business, your personal credit is really what's going to be focused on. Um, you know, so we'll be looking for bankruptcies, looking for any um, loans that were discharged in the past, if there was any loss to the federal government, uh, tax, tax liens, and- things of, of that nature. I mean, so that's all on your personal which really does bleed over to your business side. So in the business side of things you talked about, so businesses kind of have a credit report kind of similar to kind of, yep. your personal side. They don't really do a credit score, if I remember right, Yes. like like you get on your, your personal side. But you, you mentioned LexisNexis. You know, I know one question that we get all the time from people is, what's a Dun & Bradstreet number yep. and, I, I and had, is it important? I also hand raised. I had yeah. that question when you said it. What is a Dun & Bradstreet right, number? So what, why don't one of you explain real quick what a Dun & Bradstreet number is and and do you have to have one? No one even really knows how you get that number, <laughs> to be honest. Is it, this is it, much it, like it's, the it's personal credit score. Yeah, it's it, a black box. It's it, a black box. It pulls yeah. in a lot of different things. It pulls in your financials of your company. It pulls in your personal credit score. It pulls in um, trade history. It pulls in all these different things and it spits out this number. You know, Obviously, it's like your personal credit. The higher... The, the better it is. Um, so <clears throat> we don't really know how it gets that number, but um, it pulls in from all those different. Well, so is it a big factor in whether you get a loan or not? I would not say the Dun & Bradstreet is less important than what your personal, personal. credit score is. Okay. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> yeah. So, so let me ask another question then. So, you know, like on the personal side in consumer credit, when you get a loan or, you know, some other kind of payment history like that, those companies have to report that to the credit bureaus, right? By regulation, they have to do that. On the business side, that's not the case. So oftentimes, like I've, especially early on in my business, I've, I'd maybe had three to five years worth of business experience with a business running, but nobody could see any payment history that I'd made. None of that stuff had been reported. So what are some things that you can do to kind of establish a credit history to show that you've made payments so that when it does come time to get business credit, it just, it's, it's easier. You can prove that you're, you know, you're credit worthy. I think one of the things to look to is, um, if in the past you've had vendors or suppliers or whatever the, the channel is that you're working through, they give you credit terms and, you know, then you can say, you know, I was on 30 net, uh, 30 days net on this client or, you know, and, you can show what your turn days are so that you can show how quickly you've paid people or um, whatever the case may be in your line of business. I think that, um, that's, I mean, that's so, really so that's wrong. often called trade credit, right? right? I mean, that's that's really what that boils down to. So let, let's talk a little bit, you know, trucking specific, what some of those trade credit options are. So like with Holland Assets, what I've used is um, just some examples of trade credit that I've used is I've gone out to some part suppliers um, with some of the, the dealerships in the local area and I've applied for credit and they usually, a lot of times if you've been in business for a little bit, they'll give it and it's small, like just like with a personal, that first personal credit card where you may only get a $500 limit. They don't give you a whole lot right off the bat, but they oftentimes will give you something you make those payments and they'll give you, you know, they'll increase that over time. So like I've, I've gotten it through, um, the, the local dealership and parts. And then even some, there's a local mom and pop parts um, supplier around here that I was able to get some um, business credit from a, a, a truck wash place. I was able to get some business credit from. And then also um, I, I've talked a little bit about how I, I found a friend here locally that would let me buy fuel from him and his, his bulk fuel. And that's the same kind of thing. I, you know, I go fuel and I have to make a payment on it within um, a, a week. And, you know, all those things are different types of trade credit. So do you guys, if, if you're going to lend somebody, do you go and actually call these references and say, how do you know that I've actually made payments with these guys? I wouldn't say that we next necessarily are reaching out to whoever that is, but what we see is on your financials, you're going to have a notes payable, or you're going to maybe have a, a liability that's listed as whoever that vendor is. So we can see what it is that you've got for your credit. And uh, through that, we can see, you know, is this line staying the same? Have you been paying it off on a revolving basis? Um, I, I think those are, you know, again, looking through your financials. But 
I've, I don't know that I've ever called a vendor or someone that's supplied terms to a client before. No. But, but you, we list those out, right, when we right. make do a loan application. Then you can probably see those on bank statements because a lot of times either on the financials or on bank statements, you can see those payments coming out. So I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of how you Yeah, the most that. they'll probably do is they'll probably just ask you maybe for the note. If you have a note, you know, can I see the note on that term that you have to make sure that the payments match up and stuff like that? That would be the most that they do, but they would never call. So is, is it beneficial then in the long run to try to get some of those little, those trade credits? Cause they seem like they're the easiest types of credit to get. I mean, having some of those and, and being able to show a banker that you've, you have them and you've made payments on them. Honestly, I would say, yeah, I mean, that would be important, but I, I still think that a lot of times what you'll see is maybe someone can't get that trade credit. So they have their own, their own Amex or, or uh, visa or whatever it is that they're using to, to start up their business. And so if you can show that you've been using those cards for that purpose and you've been handling those correctly, that's where I think more of the credit history or trust can come from. Okay, so it, it's not a bad idea then to go out and get a business credit card and and make payments on it and yeah. not max it out all the time, but actually- Yeah, well, you can show that you're paying it down and stuff, it's, it's great, yeah. Okay. yeah. Let, me, let me ask a question that you guys have kind of sparked in my mind. We're talking about how the most important thing is, at least if you're first starting out, obviously, uh, your personal credit. Um, in fact, you know, maybe even if you're not just starting out, your personal credit is going to be even more important than the trade credits, the other things we've been talking about. But we often talk, Chris, about how important it is to uh, keep your personal and business finances separated. Um, and, and I'm curious about how that plays into this. Um, are, will it matter to you as you're going through, uh, you know, bank statements and balance sheets and whatnot? Is it going to matter to you? Uh, how separated somebody's keeping their business and personal finances. Does that, because that's something, again, we've talked about that a lot and harped on that. You know, it's really important to uh, to keep those things separate. Does it matter from your perspective as the banker? I mean, it matters, but we'll, at the end of the day, the bank's going to look at the global, everything all together. They're going to look at the business and the personal. Even if you have multiple layers, they're, they're still going to look at everything mm -hmm. as a whole and it all comes in that same package. And I think to, to echo what Jaron was saying, um, because there is such a fine line that sometimes gets crossed quite often going between personal and business, that's why a personal guarantee is pretty much always expected because there is that interplay between, hey, I put this on my personal credit, but it was for business use or, or vice versa. Um, and so they, that's why you're captured with both the business and captured sounded really fall or like really hostile. That's not what I meant to say, <laughs> but you know, like you, you're, you're trying to encapsulate everything uh, both business and personal. Okay. All right. And so I, I would rec here's one recommendation that I would make, and I, I'd like to see if you guys agree with this. So when, when you go out and you're talking about using a credit card for pers for business purposes, um, when you apply for a, a business credit card and you get that, that doesn't actually show on your personal credit. That, that balance and, and, and everything until you default on it, Correct. right? If you default on it, because you typically have to do a personal guarantee, if you default on it, then it'll show up on your personal credit. But to me, that's, a, that's actually a, a positive. Like I would say, go get a business credit account so it doesn't show on your personal credit. So it kind of protects it because you, you may carry a high balance on that credit card. And if you're carrying a high balance on that credit card and it's showing up on your personal credit, it's going to hurt your personal right. credit, even if you're making the payments all the time. Right. So I, I think it's a good idea to separate those and you know, don't just use your personal credit card for business expenses. Do what you can to go get a, a business credit card so it doesn't show up. Right. And it's it's not showing as a, a high balance on. And not even credit. not even that. It's just easier for us as bankers to look at everything just under the business on the financial side. So if you're using financials for both personal and business and you're trying to use your personal credit card, it's just so much easier just to look at, okay, they've done everything under the business, all their purchases and everything's under one thing. And it's hard to like so get it, a personal credit card statement and be like, okay, which stuff on this yeah. credit card is for business and which one's for personal. So you're not, you're not hunting through exactly. as the banker trying to figure it all out. Exactly. Yeah. So, so basically you want somebody to come in and make themselves and their business look very attractive and make things as easy as possible for you, the <laughs> banker, and they're on easy street. Is that yeah. It? So, yeah. Okay. So let's talk then um, about some of the most common types of loans, what people are coming to you for um, and what, if anything, if there are people or if there are situations where people have come to you for a certain type of loan or a loan for you know, this or that equipment or initiative or whatever, you just say, you know, no, that's that's not going to happen. We don't loan for that. But let's start with what you do loan for. What are some of the most common things that come up? 
especially on the trucking side. So on the trucking side, you know, the biggest thing is obviously going to be equipment. So your truck and your trailer. Um, the second thing is probably going to be working capital. So a line of credit um, that you can use for your everyday working capital needs. And then like the third thing will probably be eventually you want to buy a building, you know, to store your trucks, your trailers, where you can have your office and employees that can work out of. So, I mean, those are going to be probably your three biggest thing that the bank's going to lend on. On, in the in the trucking industry, any so Chris, think, anything you're thinking of that? Well, I, I think for the most part, you know, truck and tra trailer loans right. are, are pretty self-explanatory. Most people, and you, you can wrap your head around. You them. can right. wrap your head around <laughs> it. And and one of the things that that makes it easier to get truck and trailer loans versus other loans is collateral. Like mm -hmm. that that that's the big thing is is you're loaning that money based off of an asset. So if you default on the loan, the bank can then take the asset right. over, sell it, and they they limit their loss. So let's talk a little bit about lines of credit then and how that differs. Um, because a lot of the times a line of credit is is not going to have a collateral against it, right? Or you, or you can or you can't. I mean, it, it. so let's talk a little bit about that line of credit and how um, how you go about getting one. What are some of the challenges with the line of credit? And because a, a lot of guys want one and, mm -hmm. and there are challenges with it. Yeah. So, I mean, lines of credits are great. They are more difficult to get, like you said, because of the collateral aspect of it. So, you know, obviously the bank's going to look at your account receivables first. Okay. Does this company have account receivables? How many, how far out are these people getting paid? Are they getting paid on the 30, 60, 90 days? You know, the further out that they're getting paid, the less the bank's going to lend out on that. So they look at your ARs and that's how they kind of value your your working capital line of credit. So, so let's take a pause real quick for if there's anybody out there that doesn't know what uh, accounts receivables are, which there probably are. A accounts receivable is when you complete a job. If you're, especially if you're not factoring, right. most a lot of guys when they start out are going to be factoring. But if you're not factoring, accounts receivable is okay. Complete the job today. I go bill my client. But in most situations, they're not going to pay for about 30, 30 days. Yeah. And you want to keep you know, for, especially for lending purposes and really for all purposes, you want to keep that, that number of days that it takes to get you paid lower, you know, closer to that 30 day mark. Cause when you get that stretched out more, it becomes less and less likely that it's going to get paid. Right. A bank's not going to use that and in, in, you know, they're not going to give you as much weight on your receivables if it's taken 45, 60, 90 days to get paid. And so it, it's just, you want to get those you know, you want to stay on top of, of your clients and make sure they're paying you in a timely manner well, for multiple reasons, including for getting loans. Yeah. yeah. And, and to that point, uh, just so anyone's aware, if it's over 90 days, they won't on, yeah, it's discounted completely. It's removed from the equation. Um, and I think one of the other things that, that a bank will look for in accounts receivable is also, do you have a concentration? If all of your receivables are with one or two clients, if one of those two clients goes away, then half of your receivables are gone. That can be a concern for the bank. So if you're able to diversify, which again can be a hard thing at first because you're trying to build your 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 fleet, you're trying to build your routes or whatever the case may be. Uh, so you have to do a good job with maybe one or two clients. But then as you build, um, being able to have a, a diverse uh, group uh, it just makes things a little bit better. How How realistic is it for somebody that's been in business for let's say a year to be able to go out and get a line of credit, even if it's kind of a smaller one? I mean, I think it's possible, especially with like the small, the SBA program, you know, because the, the government's kind of guaranteeing a portion of that. So, I mean, it might not be a huge amount, you know, it could be five, $10,000, but you know, it's, it's a possibility, especially with the SBA program. Okay. How, so is that kind of where you start then? You start asking on, on a line of credit, hey, you're more likely to get it if you just ask for $5,000 or do you think it's okay to go and say, Hey, I'm going to ask for the world. And they, <laughs> if they only give me 5,000, they only give me 5,000. I think it really, again, it, it really comes down to what is your accounts receivable? You know? So if you've maybe got a, accounts receivable on a given time of 10 to $15,000, but you come in and say, I need a line for 50,000, the bank's going to say, well, it's just not there. Luck, we, yeah. you know, we just, you need to have a, a rule of thumb is essentially a bank will look at anywhere from 50 to 75% of an advance rate off of your accounts receivable. So if you took your entire eligible accounts receivable, let's say you had $100,000 in your accounts receivable, you could expect to get a line of credit between 50 to 75,000 okay. would be a general rule of thumb. So again, it, it is a little bit of a chicken and egg situation because someone's gonna say, well, I need more working capital to add more to my company. 
but the bank's going to say, but we need to see more in your receivables before we can lend you more. So it, it does make it a little difficult at first. So, that's, so then that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb. Like if you're staying on top of your receivables and they're not being drawn out forever and you've got, you know, $30,000, you're roughly doing $30,000 a month in business, then you can probably expect to get somewhere around a 15 ish thousand dollar right. line yeah. of credit. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's good to know. I like that. And and I think that, uh, you know, one of the other things, and this is not a hard and fast rule, um, but oftentimes if you're looking at maybe a percentage of what your annual revenue or your annual income is, look at about 10 to 15% of what your annual make is. And that's kind of where you could also plan for a line of credit. So um, just another way to, to look at that or consider it. Okay. Uh, could you guys tell me what is, now that we've gone through, I, I think a lot of these basics, and we'll probably start wrapping this up here in just a minute, but uh, now that we've talked about a lot of these things, what is the number one or maybe the one or two things that, you know, somebody walks in, they says they say, I want a loan. Here's what I want a loan for. Here's the amount I'm looking for. And you say, nope, not going to happen. What's the number one mistake that people have made. I'm, you know, is it is it the documentation? Is it the personal credit? What uh, what's the number one mistake? Go for it. I would say that maybe sometimes the the request is maybe not structured properly. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're thinking they need more than they really do, or maybe not understanding why the bank would only be willing to give X amount. Hmm. Um, you know, I recently had a client, or not a client, but someone that came to me and said that you know they were looking for a million dollar line of credit because they wanted to grow their company um but they only had annual sales of barely a hundred thousand so it's just it's a little out of whack with with where you're the money that you're bringing in versus the money that you would like to borrow um but and i think that this was maybe even discussed a little earlier if someone comes in and says hey i need a fifty thousand dollar line but the bank comes back and says well we can only do 20. i mean we do look for what can we do? We're not just going to say you asked for 50, no on 50 case closed. Um, you know, th there are options where we'll say, Hey, maybe 10,000 is where we start you see where you're at six to eight months from now. Look to do an increase at that time. Mm. Okay. Now, so I was going to say the same thing. You know, the biggest thing that we turn companies around for most banks is obviously the first is going to be the cash flow. You know, that's exactly what you were talking about. If the money's there, you know, then obviously we'll be able to do a deal. But if it doesn't cash flow, if there's not any financials that can support the loan, then the bank's probably not going to do it. Right. Well, uh, Chris, anything uh, else to wrap this subject up while I, we have uh, have these guys here? I maybe have one one question. So then let's say somebody comes in and says, um, you know, they, they don't have necessarily the perfect credit. They don't have uh, everything lined up perfectly. Are there things that they can do to kind of get them you know, eligible for the loan. You know, one of the things that kind of comes to mind with me is down payment. Does a bigger down payment help if some of the other things aren't necessarily perfect? I would definitely say that having uh, your own cash reserves, equity, working capital that you have personally or in the business is always a good strength. Um, but, and this may open up another can of worms for a topic of a different time, <laughs> but there are also a lot of other programs like the Utah Micro Enterprise Loan Fund or uh, different programs that offer uh, loans to to a smaller amount, you know, maybe only up to 25 or 30,000. So going through a program like that, that's state sponsored, cutting your teeth with that company, uh, doing that for a year or two, and then you can kind of graduate into what you may consider uh, traditional banking products. It's not that it's not a traditional bank product, but there are again, state-sponsored programs that can help in some of those regards. Yeah, it's, it kind of sounds, uh, again, similar to the personal side. It's uh, you know, like first-time homebuyer programs or something just to get you started, get your feet wet uh, before you can build up toward the bigger loans and bigger situations, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rob had mentioned the Utah Micro Enterprise Loan, which is a, a program, a kind of a nonprofit entity yep. here in Utah that helps small businesses or people that are wanting to establish small businesses. Um, I, I think most states have something similar to that. And it's a great program because they will, they're a nonprofit. So they're out there helping people start businesses. And so oftentimes they will do stuff that your traditional bank or a traditional lender wouldn't. I think one of the other things that I, uh, again, topic for another time, but something I've used a lot uh, in helping certain clients uh, here in, in Davis County, Utah, there's uh, the DATC or um, 
So it's a the technical, technical college, college the, yeah. the technical college, but there's a business resource center there. And so you're able to go there. And, and again, they offer services to help people put together business plans or, uh, you know, there's kind of like an incubation center. So if that you, if you have an idea of something you want to do, you can go and you can talk to people who have are entrepreneurs have done these kinds of things. And so I think that one of the big things for someone is try to find people who have done what you're looking to do, uh, resource them and, and try to see how you can build something um, and I think, again, looking for some of those opportunities that maybe you take smaller baby steps and then you're able to get up into those traditional bank products as a way cool. to go. Well, one thing I'd, I'd like to maybe have Rob just spend a really quick minute on is that SBA side, since that that's kind of your wheelhouse. Yep. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen trucking companies do, how they've utilized the SBA the best or where, where is it? Where is that? Uh, where do they marry up and match really well? Sure. Um, so as Jaron said, you know, so the SBA offers a line of credit. It's called an S, uh, SBA Express line of credit. Uh, don't think it means express that it's going to be a fast <laughs> process because that's definitely not the case. It's SBA, so it's going to take even longer. The government's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, it's a it's a misnomer on that name for sure. So uh, anyways, um, so, you know, there's the express, which offers lines of credit. Um, where I got started originally was dealing with 504 loans, which are, uh, commercial real estate specific loans that are going to be owner occupied. So, uh, you know, uh, the thing about an SBA loan is, is it's very much like your traditional bank product. They're going to be looking for the same things, but the bank likes to do them because there is, as Jaron mentioned earlier, a government guarantee. So it takes some of the pressure off the bank. And so they definitely, especially for newer companies like to leverage that SBA program. So, you know, I think that especially if we're talking about trucking, if you're purchasing equipment, SBA has a product for that. If you're looking for a line of credit, SBA can cover that. If you're looking for your building, SBA can do that. So, um, again, it, it marries perfectly with what the bank is, which is what it's supposed to do. But um, giving that that additional guarantee helps comfort the bank a little so, bit. And correct me if I'm wrong in this, but to kind of help people understand a little bit what the SBA program does, it's kind of similar like if you're buying a house, if you can't qualify for traditional financing or you don't have the the down payment that you need for a traditional home loan um, you typically go and get an fha loan mm -hmm. or a va loan if you can qualify it's the same thing the government backs that yes. and so banks are typically willing to do something that's a little riskier or as they would say in the industry has a little more hair on it right um, in that situation it's the same thing with sba new business or a young business um, that a traditional bank wouldn't want to do a loan on a traditional bank will do a loan if it's an SBA loan, because the government as part of trying to help build an economy and grow an economy has said, you know, we will assume some of the risk and mitigate some of the bank's risk by through these SBA programs. So most, most definitely. And I would say one of the things to know is that an SBA uh, guarantee will not make a bad deal, a good deal, but it can strengthen a deal that has promise or potential to give the bank that more comfort level. Um, so I, I would just, you know, doesn't mean the bank's just going to throw an SBA at everything and just say, oh, it's automatically approved. But I, I think that in the lack of uh, collateral, if there's a shortfall in down experience, down payment, um, yeah, there's a lot of ways that the SBA can help mitigate. And that, I think that's really what it all comes down to is helping mitigate or give comfort for where someone may have a discomfort on a deal. Awesome. Well, that might be a good place to, I mean, that that's pretty good. I, I, I'm feeling good about where we're, uh, where we're at with this. Kind of what I'm hearing is before we brought uh, these guys in, you and I talked about how this isn't, this isn't rocket science. It's not super complex and it bears a lot of resemblance to what people have probably already done on the personal side with credit, right? So this, uh, hopefully this shines a little more light on the business credit process, Chris, but like you were saying earlier, this isn't. This isn't super complex, right? It, it's not super complicated. And it's really, you know, like many things in life and many things in business, it's about being aware of what the opportunities, the options are, and, and then being deliberate in your actions to make sure that those doors can, can and will be open to you. And so, you know, it's doing things like keeping your personal credit clean, um, establishing some trade credit or, you know, just doing some things that will help make bankers feel comfortable and that you are a good risk. And if they can feel comfortable and they feel like you're a good risk and that you're going to pay back the loan, they're going to give you one. Yeah. Well, Chris, we're going to do an impact tip in just a moment. But first, I, I want to thank uh, Rob and Jaron for coming in. And, uh, you know, Chris, you and I, we don't 
we tend to keep the salesy stuff uh, more or less out of the podcast, you know, as far as directing people to this or that, uh, you know, business or lender or whatever. We, we don't do a ton of that. But I do want to mention that um, if people want to get in touch with uh, Rob or Jaron, they can uh, go through us, right? Yeah, just reach so. out to me, you know, shoot me an email, chris at hollandassetsllc.com, and I can get you in contact with them. And uh, um, So they people, can, if people feel like they're they're ready or if they have some specific questions, they, they want to get ready to apply for a business loan, this would be a, a, a couple of good guys to go through, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, good, Chris. Uh, let's, uh, well, first, I before I say <laughs> anything else, Jaron, Rob, thank you so much uh, for, for coming in, answering yeah. these questions, making this crystal clear. It's uh I'm glad that you were able to carve out a little time for us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. fun. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> Chris, <laughs> let's talk about our impact tip for the day then to wrap this episode up. And I, I snuck a peek. Some, sometimes <laughs> I don't do this. Some, I like to be surprised. But today I snuck a peek. And this one is very related to what we've been talking about. What is your impact tip for today? Um, I don't make late payments. You know, it, it's credit related. Do not make late payments ever. It's it's establishing that reputation. You know, one of the things I think, I, I can't remember, uh, you hear this quote all the time. Um, it, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and 20 minutes to destroy it, right? The same thing happens with, um, with uh, credit. You know, you can make good payments for a really long time, but if all of a sudden you start missing payments or making payments late, that's going to completely destroy your reputation. It's going to make it 10 times harder to get credit. So just don't make payments late. And, and I would even say, you know, a lot of times loans will have grace periods. Don't even go off into that grace period. You know, just make it before the due date. And, and in some situations, even making it earlier helps you. And so don't make late payments. It's it, it's going to get you in trouble. It's this, not worth it. This is my favorite kind of impact tip, Chris. It's simple, straightforward, direct. Do this, don't do that, right? Uh, so yeah, that's a good one. Well, thank you everybody for listening, for watching. If you're on YouTube, if you're if you're not with us on YouTube yet, I highly encourage you to, to go there. You can see that Chris has his beard back uh, <laughs> and I haven't cut my hair since COVID started. Uh, since before COVID started. So yeah, no, I, I, I would love to see people join us on YouTube if uh, you prefer to watch over listen, but it's always going to be available in both formats. So um, anyway, thank you everybody. Go to hollandassetsllc.com for full show notes uh, for past episodes. Make sure you rate us highly. Ma- rate us five stars with a glowing review on iTunes or whatever service you use. Um, Chris, am I missing anything else? Uh, no, I would just say, since you're talking about reviews, I really appreciate those. I, you know, there was a couple that were left this week. Um, uh, th- th- that's a great way that you can kind of, in a sense, pay us back. I love reading those. Yeah. Um, you know, people leave some really nice comments in them and, and those mean a lot, lot to me. And, and those who have done that, thank you very much. It's, uh, it always brightens my day when I get to read one of those. There you go. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody. We will see you again for what? What was it? Seventy-eight for episode seventy-nine. Yeah. I'm looking Just around the to corner. It. All right. See you guys.